Hello and welcome to 90% Hits, a podcast usually about the number one singles in Australia throughout the 90s. Uh, Today we're having one of our usual um, choose your own adventure episodes where we all choose a song that charted in the year that we've just finished but didn't necessarily make it to number one or definitely didn't make it to number one. Um, My name is Casey Atkins. With me as usual is Tim Coyle. Casey, until you pin me, Festivus is not over. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, Danny Yao. Hello, everyone. And down the line from the Gold Coast, Tim Byron. It's been a while, so I'm going to bring it back. Oh, hi, hi. Hey, there we go. Um, Yeah, so as I mentioned before, uh, when we get to about the end of a year that we've been covering, we go back to that year, look at the top 100 selling singles from that year, um, choose a song that we want to talk about, and... um, lose your train of thought as you go (laughs) (laughs) so we're going to get right into it also what we do is we all choose a movie from that year Uh, all those movies are on the side of a four-sided die which uh, helps us choose what uh, who is going to go first and what order we're going to talk about the songs in so i'll go around the table and tell and you can tell me all what movies you've chosen tim coyle i chose la confidential tim byron i chose the david lynch movie lost highway danny uh goodwill hunting and I chose uh, Austin Powers. All right, so who's going to roll the dice first? Well, Danny? Roll the dice. And it's come up with Lost Highway, so it's Tim Byron's choice. So first things first, we're going to go around and see what we thought Tim Byron was going to choose, and he can tell us uh, whether or not we were right. So Tim Coyle, what did you think Byron was going to choose? I thought he was going to go for Song 2 by Blur. Aha. Danny. Interesting. I, I thought he was going to pick Bittersweet Symphony by The Verve. Okay, and I thought he was going to choose Ashes to Ashes by Faith No More. Hmm. Tim Byron, what'd you choose? You're all wrong. (laughs) (laughs) I chose um, the number 98 single of the year uh, by Spiderbait, Calypso. was Calypso by Spiderbait, apparently the 98th highest selling single in Australia in 1997. Tim Byron, talk to us about Spiderbait and why you picked that song. Well, last week I was uh, on a plane down to Melbourne and the guy sitting in front of me, like in the seat directly in front of me, was Cram from Spiderbait. Right. <laughs> and, and at one stage during the, um, the flight, like there was a jolt on the plane and I was, I had, I was holding a Kindle in my hand and it, it flew forward under his seat and he... Uh, got the Kindle, gave it back to me, and was very gracious in general. And, and so, you know, a day after that... So you thought one, one good turn to serve some chose his song. <laughs> but, um, yeah, I remember hearing Calypso uh, when Triple J had uh, Ivy and the Big Apples, which is the album it's from, as their feature album when that came out in late-ish 96. And I remember hearing Calypso and thinking, this is a pretty good song. I reckon that could be a big single if they release it as a single. And so, you know, six months later, they released it as a single and it became, at, at what was at their time, uh, what was at the time, their biggest single, uh, you know, so far in terms of chart positions and stuff. It was the 98th biggest selling single of the year. And, um, and yeah, Spider Bait, uh, 
for me. I just love something about the sound of the the fuzziness of their guitars and the, and the the way they made music. There was something about that which, which was so quintessentially '90s Australian alt rock. Something about the the sound of the fuzz of those guitars that I, that I just really loved, and the kind of energy. And this song had all of that. It had the kind of soft loud kind of thing going on which by this stage was clearly becoming a bit of a cliche but which I didn't mind in 1997 and um I like the melody I like the the transition between sections I like the uh the bit in the chorus where uh they're not doing it in 4/4 four, four. there are some 2/4 sections I think which are surprising and interesting and um and yeah so at the time I, I was very happy that this became a number 1 because or not a number 1 a, um a, a hit single because in my head, it proved that like I had really good pop senses, uh, which amused me at the time. But yeah, I really liked this at the time. I liked lots of the other songs from Ivy and the Big Apples. And uh, yeah. Thank you very much, Tim Coyle. Yeah, well, I, I think uh, the, the other big sim- single from Ivy and the Big Apples, the album was Buy Me a Pony, which yeah. I was not a fan of. Oh, okay. Um, but on the other hand, I quite like this. Okay. Uh, and in a large part, it's that, that quite loud dynamic, which they do so really, really well. Um, and, yeah, that big fuzzy guitar in the chorus is just such a great hook. And, yeah, re- really enjoyed it. Uh, listening listening to it now, it's it does sound a bit dated. Um, it's, it's still a lot of fun. Um, and it's pretty indicative of what Spider Bait did. Um, they kind of, for me, they fall into the category of heard one, heard them all a bit. Oh, really? uh, yeah, yeah. Okay. And you know, but this is a good one to hear at any time. And yeah, it was still a fun listen this week. Um, I didn't necessarily get a hell of a lot from from it, but yeah, kind of the sugar rush yeah. aspect of it was something I really dug, and yeah, still enjoy it. Cool, Danny. Yeah. Yeah, I think I'm pretty more with Tim Coyle on this one. It's not... Um, I remember it back in the day very clearly. It was a huge, huge song. And this album, which I don't think I ever bought, but I definitely know it. I borrowed it off a friend. And around this time, I probably saw Spider Bait a couple of times. And mm. Buy Me a Pony was a huge song, and I love that song. I'm sure we'll talk more about it. But, um, yeah, when it came to this song, it was just... It lacked sort of any sort of lyrics about anything, really, for me. It's just nonsense. Uh, it's her voice is very very pretty and that it's such a dynamic change. It was great to mosh to at home bake. Yeah. Um, and yeah, well, that's no. kind of my memory, my my highest memory of it. Listening to it this week, yeah, it just it's not what really a song I've really gone back to in any sense. And the same really goes for the band. And yeah, it's a fun little punk single, and that's about it really for me. Yeah, I've I've got a lot of time for Spider Bay and and this song, kind of this song, I don't know, especially, but it's well up there. I I wouldn't say, oh yeah, it's all right, but I like a lot of the others so much more. Like I I think it's just well up there with with all of their really really great songs. I never bought a Spider Bay record, but I heard the like both this um, I've in the Big Apples and the record before it, the Unfinished Spanish Galleon of Finley Lake. Um, a lot mm. and there are other things before and after that but um, but those two records especially I heard a lot and thought that they were both actually really really great but the point that you made Danny about you know being a great song to mosh to at home bake like that's just is what Spider Bait are for me and yeah. I think more yeah. specifically the first time I saw Spider Bait was at a big day out and I think it was the first big day out I went to 
And they were amazing. Like, they were absolutely amazing. They blew me away. What year? 98? 99? Uh, 99. Yeah, they headlined? No, I wouldn't have thought so. No, it would have been 2000, actually. Oh, okay. So I didn't come to Sydney until 99, so it would have been January of 2000. It was an afternoon. They right. played in the afternoon, but they were, mm. they were great. They were absolutely awesome. I remember this song specifically. Um... I love the way she delivers the vocal. I think it's um, fantastic the way that she, um, all of the, there's quite, it seems to be quite a lot of thought to, that goes into the way that she delivers each of the lines and she, she changes from the sort of sweet part to the, the loud, yelly kind of part really, really beautifully. I think it's, um, yeah, I, I agree great with that. Song. Yeah, I think it's excellent. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I guess I've already told my story of, of, of spider bait in general. We know about Tim's and it involves cram on a plane and a Kindle. Um, <laughs> spider bait yeah. beyond that for anyone else? Um, so the, the, you said that the album before the unfinished Spanish game, mm. um, so Monty was probably the first song I ever heard. Yeah. Yeah. And that was great. I, I really appreciate their musicality. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes they're <laughs> just bashing out to four chords over and over, but sometimes it's quite intricate and cram. Is one of the best drummers in Australia. He doesn't get the credit for it, and the it's fact that he sings. Yeah. I kind of like Cram's voice better than than Janet's, uh, just because he's got like "Buy Me a Pony" in particular. What a track! Like, I think I like the fact that they both sing though, and that sure, and yeah. that's, that's one of the things that keeps the band interesting or kept the band interesting. <laughs> yeah, I, I like the fact that the guitarist didn't. I know. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he didn't even get a mic stand. He didn't even no. do backing vocals. Like he was just like, nah, I'm just gonna stand. Yeah. Here. But yeah, for me, um, I, I definitely agree with that in terms of both Cram and and Janet sing beautifully, like greatly for the kind of music it is. Both of them have the ability, have a, a pretty good sort of emotional range. Like Cram can do the kind of like really angry kind of stuff, but he can also kind of be a bit more scaled back, and so can Janet, and she does it in this song, as Casey pointed out. And yeah, I, I like that both of them had that kind of, you know, some of them sung some songs and sung others, and that they kind of all basically sounded like the same band, even though they had a guy singing some and a girl singing other. They they all absolutely they both kind of wrote the same kinds of songs, and that's yeah. a, a really good thing for a band to have to have that kind of uh, combination of stuff that sort of works in the same way and stuff that works differently. Yeah, um, is this is this your favourite Spider Bait song, Tim Byron, or do you have others that kind of? Edge well, it for out? Me, yeah, for me, it's between this and and Buy Me a Pony, both of which I, I love a lot. Um, I was slightly too young to really know the, unspini- the unfinished Spanish Galleon at the time, but I remember Sam Gribbles was a song that someone put on a tape yeah. for me. Sam, like- Sam Gribbles is probably my favourite song. That's, yeah. that's a great song. Yeah, and, and I like that song a lot as well. But yeah, I, there's just something about the sound of Spider Bay. Like I don't feel that there's like a particular song that like really does it for me. Like most of their songs are um, something about the sound of them and something about the the energy and the feel of it is something I really enjoy and, and always mm. have and probably. Like, it's funny with them, I guess, in a way, because like, they're so indicative of a certain time. And so, like, someone was saying that they're a bit dated. And um, and I kind of agree with that in a, in a way. But I feel like we've got to the stage where we're almost sort of 20 years later, where it's kind of uh, that datedness now feels nostalgic to me rather than a bit embarrassing. Whereas it probably would have felt a bit embarrassing, say, 10 years ago or sort of eight, seven, eight, six years ago. Uh, that kind of, the sound of them would have been like, oh, yeah, that reminds me of being a teenager. But now it's like, oh, that reminds me of being a teenager. <laughs> so with that in mind, has anyone heard da, 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 the new record? No. Oh. No, it's, um, yeah, I feel kind of embarrassed about that because, you know, I used to love this type of music so much. But yeah. I, and, uh, 
And you know, with Grinspoon breaking up this week and everything else while we're what? recording this, they broke up Did this they? week. Yeah, that's, that's that's a bit tough. Something funny. Yeah, Grinspoon were still together. Um, <laughs> what? <laughs> and like, yeah, just well, it is like it's Spider Bay is still together. I mean, they reform. Just the idea that this sort of stuff still makes the news in my world, anyway. Mm. Um, Spider Bay yeah. were one of the bigger bands in here. And yeah, I I gave up on them. They, they did have a number one single. Yeah, and I gave yeah. up on them pretty much because of that single. I think. Or because of Black Betty? Yeah, by that time, I, I've come to like Black Betty a little bit more, um, but I just felt like they didn't need... That wasn't a song that needed re-recording. And then I listened to it a few times, and I went, actually, they do, they do rock it out of the park. Yeah, they do yeah, a pretty do. decent job of it. I, I quite like the song Black Betty. I think that Same. there's yeah, yeah. Um, quite a lot of really cool stuff going on in that original Ram Jam version of it. And, and like you, I didn't think that the world really needed it. But then again... I also think that Spider Bait deserved a big yeah. hit, and if they got it out of that, then then good. Yeah, on. yeah, I kind of agree to- with that in a way. Like I had definitely stopped paying attention to Spider Bait before that had come out, and I don't think I ever got that album, or maybe even the one before that. But yeah, um, it kind of works for them that particular song. I, I think because you know Black Betty is originally a Lead Belly song, uh, like an old folky kind of thing, and Ram Jam has sort of rocked it up, and they're kind of doing that. But yeah. Spider Bait always had that kind of love of sort of bluesy country kind of stuff that you get on, you know, on like Old Man Sam, which Triple J just played the shit out of while yeah. you know in ninety six, ninety seven or so. Yeah. Old Man Sam, of course. Yeah, and so they they had that kind of like ability to do that kind of country ish kind of thing, and and it, so it really works for them on Black Betty in a way. Uh, but yeah, as a single, I never paid attention to it at the time, and whoever was into that at the time was probably not people like us. I guess it was the younger generation who were probably mm. hearing it as being more white stripesy or something. I guess. Yeah, I get that. Tim Coyle, did you have any uh, favourites to call out? This would probably actually be my favourite yeah. Spider Bay song. Um, and yeah, kind of mentioning that they did get to number one, and that for for me, and I suppose for the others in this room, the moment came and went very quickly uh, before they um, really passed into a mainstream fixture. Mm. And then they came and went there very quickly as well. But yeah. um, I think Casey mentioned the uh, the live show. And for me, there is a very big um, contrast between the recorded material and the live show. The live show was something I really responded to yeah. and got into. Whereas... Yeah, never really got into the album so much. I listened to back to the albums this week and was a little underwhelmed. Okay. Uh, and I think largely that is because I have seen them live mm. and knew that there was something in there that the, the albums didn't quite get out of them necessarily. So, uh, but again, that's, that's a criticism made now uh, with kind of changes in the way things are recorded, um, feeding into that and also being where I'm at. Um yeah, as well. So yeah, I've I've outgrown that kind of music. Um, the only other thing I want to mention: Did anyone else watch the film clip? Oh yeah, the animated. yeah, the clip. So yeah, the really bad three D. <laughs> All right, yeah, because like was it Quan and Janet yeah. did both yeah. of them for, for them and for the regurgitator uh, uh, videos that came out at about the same time. Well, they did Happy Land together, didn't yeah, they? Yeah, and they were yeah. a couple. They were the they were the Damon and Justine of the Australian rock they're, scene. Yes, they still are. are, as far as I know. They, I don't they think they are. Well? Still, I think oh, okay. they split. No, I don't think they are. Are they? I'm oh, just thinking. Sorry, I'm, I'm, I'm just starting rumors. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, he did. He just fell in love with that program, and he got so many kudos for those film clips for like Black Bugs and Polyester Girl. I remember sitting there thinking that these were all shit film clips. <laughs> really? Like these yeah, I remember like, thinking that too. 
And well, then, uh, the thing is, yeah, you watch them now and especially kind of, yeah, there's, there's someone in the field I'm in and they look terrible, but they look terrible back then yeah. as well. <laughs> and yeah, it's just that very bad 3D animation that some people got excited about because you could do it. Yeah. Not yeah. because it was actually, actually made yeah. looked good. No. And yeah, yeah it, it was kind of it was it was an it's odd like, experience. It's like bad. It. It's like bad audio double tracking in the you know well, early sixties yeah. yeah. and whatever. You know. uh, I, I didn't say my favorite song by, by Spider Man, oh, but it, it is clearly for me "Buy Me a Pony." Like you know, we haven't really talked about that song, but that got to number one in the Hot One Hundred. I feel like. Yeah. As time goes by, I think like that's going to be a more important song of their career than even this one, even though this one charted higher. Um, and also in the story of Australian music, you know, I've read so many Britpop books and they say things like, you know, common people came right in the middle of Britpop and managed to capture the moment. Mm. Something about Buy Me a Pony, just whether by design or by accident, they actually said the story of Australian music in the 90s. Everything before that was cool and interesting and underground and on Waterfront Records and Brew Art. And then after that, the majors bought up all these bands and started spitting out Lotels. Yeah. And yeah. it is, and motor races. And it's, I don't know, when, when someone does that story of Australian 90s music, they could call it Buy Me a Pony. The, sto- the really, really silly story that he tells in that song is 90s Australian music. Okay, so can somebody roll the dice for us? And it's come up as Austin Powers, so it is mine. Um, so before we found out what I, or find out what I did <laughs> choose, um, everybody, please tell me what you thought I was going to pick. Tim Coyle. I thought you were going to pick Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind. Danny. I thought you were going to pick One Headlight by The Wallflowers. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Tim Byron. I thought you were going to pick Love Fool by The Cardigans. Ah, Interesting. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, Semi-Charm Life by Third Eye Blind. Okay, so Semi-Charm Life by, um, by Third Eye Blind. I really loved this song. And um, I have to be honest, though, um, I, I really did like this song. And I had it on CD single and I never got around to buying the album, which I'm pretty happy that I never did because I'm fairly certain that the album would have been a pile of just <laughs> mountainous turds. But um, I still think that this was, was a great radio song. But the other reason why I picked it, I've got to be honest, I looked at the list and not a lot jumped at me. Um, and this was the only thing that I could with all honesty say, well, not the only thing, but one of, one of the only things that I could with all honesty, 
say that I really genuinely liked it at the time because I know for a fact that I had the single of it. I knew how to play it. I knew all the words. I think I played it in a couple of bands. Um, you managed to figure out all the chords in this song. <laughs> <laughs> all three of them. <laughs> yes, yes, very good. Well, the four right chords can make me cry, Danny. Um... <laughs> See, see what I did there? Yeah, I referenced the song. Boom! Yeah. Um, it's pretty college rock. Like, it's pretty FM. Um, but I did still have a fairly strong receptor for this stuff in 1997, as much as I was listening to a reasonably wide range of music. And this bit, that, that said, this song got played on Triple J and they played this on Recovery and and all of that. So it, was, it wasn't like it was fully Matchbox 20, but I I do accept that they were probably heading in that direction. But hey, I liked it. Look, listening to this week, uh, again, it just reminded me of why I liked it at the time. Um, it reminded me of the type of music that I was listening to and what, what was sort of hit, hit, hitting my buttons back then. It's not great. I probably wouldn't, wouldn't like it so much if it – I probably wouldn't like it at all if it was a new song now. Um, but I'm still pretty pretty happy to listen to it. Danny. Uh, yeah, it's interesting they say college rock. I was looking it up today and I'm just bringing it up now. Uh, in, in the Billboard Modern Rock Tracks number one singles, this was uh, this followed The Freshman by The Verve Pipe. Okay. And was replaced on the charts by the pr- impression that I get by the Mighty Mighty Boss Tones. <laughs> uh-huh. Back in the charts. And then succeeded by Push by Matchbox 20. What a idea. So it is a product of its time. Yeah. Isn't it? Isn't it just it? sounds like the late 90s for me. Uh, I clearly remember this song. I remember the film clip uh, very much. I was still watching Rage at this point, I guess, maybe. Like, yeah, um, sure. It was this and that Better Than Ezra film clip that was on around the time. Uh, <laughs> was very, very similar. Uh, the song, yeah, I liked it at the time. You did? Oh, yeah, yeah. I had the single. Okay. Uh, it was just a fun song. It has so many little hooks. You know, the, the, the better songs from this era were kind of simple, but um, had lots and lots of hooks in it. And maybe make me smile when you talk to you. Like, you know, it's almost like, hey, let's say it's a, it's a bit like Nada Surf Popular, you know? So yeah. uh, it's a song I love. But um, as the years go by, yeah, it just sounds like something from Friends, doesn't it? It just does. Uh, <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's not something I listen to anymore at all. It's... it's it's, I'm sure, used in TV shows when they flash back to the 90s. <laughs> yeah. And that's exactly yeah, how If I you were going to make a movie about the 90s, like a teen movie about the 90s, this would definitely be on the soundtrack, <laughs> wouldn't it? Yeah. Yeah. And that's kind of where it stayed. So well, I blind- it was on the soundtrack of American Pie. Well, there you, have it. Yeah, well there, you have it. there you have it. <laughs> um, I do own one Third Eye Blind album. I was working at Waters at the time in the back catalog department, and we put out uh, Third Eye Blind Greatest Hits called The Collection. Uh-huh. Uh, which I do own, and I did find this week. I uh, didn't really give it a listen. Is that a particularly long record? No. <laughs> it's just, it's just <laughs> this song. <laughs> yeah, it was just a reprint of the CD single of this. Um, yeah, I remember a couple of other songs by them, but yeah, it's it's this track. They are a one-hit wonder. And, yeah. you know, it's a B-plus grade one-hit wonder for me, though. It's not the, one of the greatest, but it's, hey, it's great. It's a great little pop song. It does what it does, and, and the 90s lives through it. Cool. Tim Byron. Yeah, for me, this one is... um, It's a song that at the time I didn't buy the CD single for, and so I wasn't that fussed about it. Like, to me, in 97, I was getting into, like, weirder, heavier stuff, I guess, the the OK Computers and um, Smashing Pumpkins kind of stuff of the world. So for me, this was a bit too shiny and pop. 
to really like it. I think I kind of remember at the time that it was a song that I didn't care that much about when I heard it on the radio. It was fine being on the radio, but it wasn't one that like really spoke to me. And I think I remember at the time there being a sort of a bit of like you know I, I would have been I would have been reading Juice magazine by this time. So I think. Um, they would have given this kind of thing shit because it was the kind of thing they would have done. And so I think I remember sort of seeing that kind of thing and thinking, oh, is this stuff not cool? Oh, yeah. Okay, whatever. Right. Um, so, like, I, I think, like, maybe I could have liked it more if I wasn't reading that kind of thing at the time, maybe. But, yeah, to me, this was just a, a pop song that was on the... that was going around that sounded a bit like everything else that was sort of going around and that was sort of the poppy version of alternative kind of stuff. So... Yeah, at the time, I didn't really think that much about it one way or the other. It was okay, but it was okay in the same way the the verb pipe were okay and, you know, Matchbox 20 were not really actually okay, but... No. Um, <laughs> um, you know, just looking at those ones in the modern rock charts at the time in the US. And um, so, yeah, I, I was going for sort of harder, weirder stuff uh, at this point than this. But, yeah, listening to it now, I can see it's a great pop single, but it also still says nothing much to me. Like, I don't have much relationship to this song. I can see, you know, it's it's catchy. It's got the do-do-do and all the kind of little bits. Um, I, I, there's that story about um, Wilco with Summer Teeth uh, where they decided, oh, we've got to have a single, or the record company said we've got to have a single. So they took, um, you know, their original version of I Can't Stand It and sent it off to some guy to make it into a single. And so he moved things around and, um, you know, put different sections in and put new parts in and made it into that kind of radio single kind of thing and I'm sure that this happened for this song as well and the same guy probably did this because it's got that kind of it's just so catchy and there's like it's really well made in that kind of way and I I get the impression it's probably not the band someone has sort of produced this really well and so yeah it's all right uh but yeah I'm you know I'll I'll hear this the next time I'll hear this song will be when I'm watching some movie about the late 90s yeah (laughs) Tim Coyle yeah a bit like Tim Byron uh got a funny relationship with the song uh i think by 1997 i kind of bought into the slacker thing yeah a lot more so you know weezer and pavement were already on my radar and this is a lot tighter a lot more polished Mm. and yeah people the people who made this gave a shit (laughs) (laughs) which was not where i was at at the time so yeah (laughs) um it just kind of it passed me by a bit it was a it was a little too polished and a little too radio friendly so yeah just just kind of let it pass there was also there was i found something a little obnoxious in his voice yeah um which in some of the more spoken wordy parts he sounded like a commercial radio announcer which <laughs> might have been the point um in some way um so you know i'm not gonna necessarily hold that over him but um yeah uh, look uh, when I was about 24, 25, um, I had a girlfriend who was very into Third Eye Blind. Um, <laughs> and yeah, so I revisited this stuff, trying to be a good boyfriend. And you know what? I, I really came around to this song and I still quite quite like it, listening to it this week. Um, I think it's really well put together. Um, kind of the, the way it deals with its subject matter is, is really good. Uh, and there's a lot of good, really good hooks in it. Uh, it's it's not the greatest thing in the world, and it's it wasn't like the greatest discovery mm. that uh, this song actually wasn't that bad. But um, yeah, still, I think it's it it is a really well written song, and you know, it still hangs around as 
being uh, a signpost of the 1990s because it's good. It's a very good example of what it is. Yeah, the sound's dated a bit, but um, yeah, it it is actually well put together. I find it really bizarre that anyone could say that they are into third yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> I find that weird. Like, it's cool. Like I had, you know, yeah, yeah, I had the record. I like that. Uh, a couple of songs saw them yeah. live when they, when they toured. You kind I of have thing, a compilation with them on it. But, you know, like yeah. The song, yeah. But who's like really into third eye blind? Like, I don't, that I just don't understand. <laughs> yeah. Who was his girlfriend, Tim? <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll cover this later. You <laughs> all, you all knew them. So. Okay. But you know, the problem, the problem with that is that, uh, I get that on the reverse probably all the time, right? It's probably someone out there's going, who could be a Gin Blossoms fan? <laughs> <laughs> Every track yeah. is amazing. I'm pretty sure I actually that thought that before I met you guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think, I think that, that, is, that is almost the thing. They are just part of that big morass of, of college rock. And the thing is, you pick one of them, and you stick with I it. Guess and that's know. the thing. Danny and I picked the gin box. It could have been Third Eye Blind. Yeah. It could have been Tonic. It- <laughs> tonic. And Tonic or another, actually. Collective Soul. I <laughs> oh, see. I really like Collective Soul. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I really like Harvey Danger. You know, so. yeah. That's the thing. It's, yeah. it's, pe- it's picking a football team. Uh, yeah, maybe. You're stuck with it for life. For, for me, this song uh, is actually marks an interesting point in music in American music because there's a there's a genre that I've made up which I call alternative for everyone you've, you've, you've spoken of this uh, on the podcast yeah. before yeah yes. and it's it's uh, Four Non Blondes it's yeah. it's when the weird person was actually writing pop songs that everyone could enjoy Blind Melon yeah and this is when this is the death of alternative for everyone this is now alternative is made by the jocks yeah you know this is the guy from Sugar Ray is like oh, alternative, yeah. you know, and this guy just—I don't know his name. He just looked like a um, uh, middle of the road American jock guy. Uh, it wasn't, you know, he didn't have dreads. He didn't look like Dave Perna. He didn't look like so. He was just like it, it was a real sort of change into, I guess, college rock, right? What we know, and then suddenly Rob Thomas is a big star. So and it was suddenly because it was right after this. <laughs> <laughs> right after this, the second this one, it was like Rod Thomas. Where is he? Let's get him. And make <laughs> so yeah, it's it's and this is where American rock kind of stayed for me. Uh, and I, hey, let's face it. Shortly after this, I gave up on on, on American guitar music that was sort of charting. Mm. So and then you know I went deeply into lots of other things. But yeah, it's it's strange. Like who are these guys? And what they have no darkness. They they ever spend any time in a tour van they probably got paid for by Electro Records to tour everywhere or something like that this is corporate rock at its best yeah the interesting yeah. thing with this one though yeah. like in terms S- of the corporate suck rock suck back stuff, a lot of meth <laughs> is that yeah exactly there's the reference to crystal meth in this song so like this this is probably must be one of the first pop songs to mention crystal meth and be a hit um, and you know the guy like I was just looking on Wikipedia the guy who wrote it Stefan Jenkins like reckons that he was trying to do a San Francisco version of Walk on the Wild Side by <laughs> Lou Reed and I'm like I, I, I read that and was just like the one thing I will say and it's kind of it's, it's an aspect of, it's an aspect of this song I, I actually quite like is that it's ambivalent about what he's talking about with drug use and stuff it's, it's not 
you know, this is terrible, it will fuck up your life and stuff. But on the other hand, it's not like we read opiates, ah, oh, yeah, <laughs> kind of thing. It's it's very much in the middle of those. It's just, hey, this is something that I do a lot and here's a song about it. Yeah, and yeah. you know... We're saying some, I need some... something else to get me through this okay life yeah. I've got. You know, if it, if it wasn't meth, it would have been... Shakespeare, Robert. <laughs> but <it> Unlikely. Was, <laughs> but it would have been a better song if it was Shakespeare. Exactly. Yeah. Just get a DVD box set like the rest of us, you know. <laughs> late 90s, they're DVDs, right? Kenneth Brown. <laughs> um, so, look, I don't, I don't know if there's too much more to say about Third Eye Blind. The only other thing that I wanted to bring up is, is two people who had the single, uh, myself and Danny, um, the... <laughs> Single version um, cuts out about a minute from the album version. Yes, it's a lot that? longer. Yes. Yeah. So the the single version cuts out pretty much in time middle eight, um, which I find so bizarre. But I guess this is this is a thing that was happening a lot at the time where people were cutting out any of the non sugar part in order for songs to be hits. Yeah, I mean it. It was just punchy and and like 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 Tim Byron said. It, it, it feels like it's been A&R to death, hasn't it? Like, it's yeah. probably been mixed yeah. by those radio guys and, and produced and just kind of made for radio. Well, and that's the thing. You could just see a guy in a studio somewhere with a ponytail rocking back and forth in his chair just going, look, just put the do-do-do bit in as much as you can. Yeah. And that's, there, that, we, there, we'll, there we'll have it. That's it. And, and that's clearly the same guy who did this who also did that to those two uh, Spin Doctors songs, which, like, these re- <laughs> this reminds me of. Yeah, yeah, there's, there's a bit of that to it as well. Yeah. yeah. Okay, well, unless anybody has any other Third Eye Blind stories, which <laughs> I think uh, I think Tim Coyles uh, tops that. I had a girlfriend who was really into that. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> All right, another roll of the dice, please. And it is LA Confidential, so it's uh, Tim Coyle's choice, and let's find out what everybody else thought that Tim Coyle would choose. Uh, Tim Byron. I thought Tim was going to go for the Bruce option this time and go for Secret Garden. Okay, uh, I thought Tim Coyle was going to choose Springsteen's Secret Garden. Uh, I thought he was going to choose uh, One Headlight by the Wallflowers. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, and no. <laughs> and no. <laughs> no, I, I chose Loveful by the Cardigans.
was Love Fool by The Cardigans. Uh, Tim Coyle, talk to us about The Cardigans. Okay, so this song was released in 1996 to no acclaim and sank without a trace. <laughs> right. And then it was put on the soundtrack to Romeo and Juliet yeah. in 1997 and suddenly it was everywhere. And yeah, uh, it, it charted, I heard it and it, I found it such an interesting song. It didn't really sound like anything else that was going around at the time and this kind of guitar pop and a lot of the influences that go into it, it were just not something that you you heard a lot um, on the radio or you saw a lot on Rage uh, and was nowhere in the charts. Uh, as we've spoken about, it was, it was mostly kind of big fuzzy guitars and mm. soft loud dynamic and alternative rock kind of stuff. And this was coming from a very different place. And yeah, I found it fascinating uh, in that regard. Um, it's well played. Uh, I really loved the guitar sounds on it. Um, there was something about that beat, which was kind of disco, but kind of not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, that was that was really great. And yeah, she is such a good singer. And yeah, she delivers this, and it has a lot of subtlety about it. And yeah, look, um, ha- having grown up and also having gone a lot deeper into where this kind of stuff came from that they were very much trying to do the French pop thing mm. and you know yeah yeah girls mm. that kind of stuff was yeah, Francois Hardy they, things yeah exactly where they were coming from Francois Hardy uh, the British Bardot kind of stuff and all that all that kind of thing from late 60s Paris that is everywhere in this song uh, as I said it's, it's filtered through a little bit a little bit of disco but look they nail this sound the album it's from uh, First Band on the Moon is a wonderful wonderful album okay um, and just is wall to wall with songs cut from this cloth uh, it's as I say it's that French and European pop thing which it was a totally new sound to me at the time in 1997 and look people don't do don't do that much and when they do it's kind of the april march thing where she is saying up front in big lights i'm doing french pop whereas yeah. these guys it was a little more subtle. subtle and yeah I, st- I still have so much time for this song i think it's just um a perfectly cut pop pop song um it, it's it's well written it's beautifully performed and yeah it's just super tight and and very alluring and yeah really great work cool uh tim byron why don't you go next yeah this one um at the time loveful i kind of i knew it from being on the romeo and juliet soundtrack as i guess everyone else did and um yeah the romeo and juliet soundtrack was this huge thing that um that like had lots of singles coming from it and it was almost more like a, a collection of songs than a movie in a bunch of ways because like there, there were all these songs that were on Triple J a lot from this uh, movie that I actually never saw. You do know like, what Baz Luhrmann does, right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's what Baz Luhrmann does. But um, yeah, I never saw the movie, but I felt like I did because I knew all these songs from it. And yeah, um, and yeah this was the best of them, I think. I'd have to have a look at the soundtrack again, but it's a, it's a great song. But I didn't really think that at the time. I think I remember thinking that this was kind of a bit of a fluff kind of thing, and I didn't think much of it. Like it, it was, um, it was better than probably Semi Charmed Life, but uh, to, to me. Uh, but yeah, this one was like, yeah, it's all right. But um, as I've grown older and listened to this, like in time since, I realised that this is an amazing song. Like just um, the stuff Tim Coyle mentioned about the disco kind of aspect of it was something that's really true to me. Like this sounds like uh, you know Bell and Sebastian trying to do disco, and um, it's got that kind of twee 
element of it, which um, is, is coming from that French pop of the 60s, uh, but it, it's, it's got the kind of disco beats in it. And it's a, it's a really interesting mix of sounds and one which didn't sound like anything else at the time. And, um, and yeah, it, it sounds great. And it's a, you know, it, she sings beautifully, uh, Nina, Nina Person. Uh, mm-hmm. um, yeah, uh, yes. she she sings beautifully, and um, and the, the the melody is invariably catchy at pretty much every point of the song, and um, yeah, what's not to love? Danny, yeah, um, it's funny how we talked about Barbie Girl recently. <laughs> yeah, in terms of like a cute song by a girl, this one back around. and this this is just it has the similar thing of having a cute girl singing a, a cute voice about a cute song, and it just is brilliant. You know, as opposed to Barbie Girl, which is sleazy. Like, and it's such a beautiful purity there. God, I was wondering how you were going to tie that together. But, but, there but yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, there's probably people in the world who bought both songs and love both songs. And it's all they know about those bands. Because it just sounded like a like a nice, girly pop single. But this song, I loved at the time. Mm. I don't give a shit about Baz Luhrmann. But, um, <laughs> like, that... This song was great, and I went and got that record, which was amazing. Mm. And this was, God, a good five... Six years before I discovered who Bell and Sebastian were, like I was really late to that band, but I knew like Saint Etienne and I knew um, other things at the time, like Tahiti 80. Uh, what other big pop bands were there that did that sort of stuff? You know, there were, there were quite a few. They weren't the only ones and they really fit in that world. Um, and so. The Wanna sort of Dies, really, I guess, from that soundtrack. The Wanna Dies, yeah. yeah. And that was really starting to come out uh, in sort of, you know, in this era of music and I loved it. And this band was a great introduction in. Uh, I've loved the Cardigans ever since, on and off. Like, I always sort of give a, give a crap when they do a new single and go, oh, yeah, it's that band. Uh, this song in particular, yeah, the arrangement, that chinka chink of that guitar, mm-hmm. um, the sweetness to it, uh, it's just, it's a great little love song. It is a little bit of a, I feel like, a parody of a 60s hmm. sort of song, like a 60s mm, yeah, sort of it was, it was very knowing. Yeah, but that's a thing, whereas, you know, yeah, and, but it's done so beautifully and lovingly that it's just great, and it and it deserves its endurance of being just an amazing song. So, yeah, go Cardigans. <laughs> I really opted out of the whole Romeo and Juliet thing um, at the time. I was just, just sick to death of everything that had anything to do with it, and for that... <clears throat> Even Claire Danes? Even William Shakespeare? <laughs> <laughs> Everything goes. <laughs> I used to do my HSC. <laughs> um, yeah, kind of even Claire Danes at that point, to be honest. Um, I saw it, I guess. Yeah, I did see it. Um, but I just... Everything about that movie, and especially this soundtrack, was so huge and inescapable that I just still did whatever I could to try and escape it. And this song at the time was just another symptom of, of God, this thing is still hanging around. This song is on the frigging radio again. And it was on Triple J and it was on everything. You just couldn't get past it. And even, what, probably four or so years later, three or four years later when I was working in the, the record stores, this was this was still ticking over, this soundtrack. Oh, yeah. And it was, you know... There's a volume two. Volume two, <laughs> I was just going to say. Yeah. And, and for that reason... <laughs> I was on that. <laughs> and for that reason alone, I didn't like it because I just... Um, I was just sick of everything to do with it. Um, but... When I have heard it subsequently, and especially this week when I've listened to it with a little bit more um, 
you know, given it quite a lot of attention. It's amazing. <laughs> like it's, it's truly amazing what is going on there. Everything that you guys have said is, is like, I agree with a hundred percent. It's, um, it's got the disco thing going on. It's perfectly pieced together. Um, it's perfectly performed. There is nothing in there that doesn't need to be there. Um, the the guitar stuff is great. Those guitar chords that lead into the chorus yeah. Um, yeah. out of the verse is it's just stunning. which is so I um, pray and I beg. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, it's just it's and also just, the little drum roll going into that chorus as well. I mean, just, it's, it's nothing complicated, but it just holds it to work, together so well. Yeah, and again, there is just nothing by accident on the track at all, um, and it's just beautifully put together. She sings it really, really well, and it's just one of those things that I've um, you know come around to um, really, really nicely. But at the time, I just couldn't. I just couldn't stomach it because mm. of what it was attached to. It was one of those for me. Danny, you've got the track list of Volume Two up, and you're looking <laughs> at me like you've got something to say. Uh, <laughs> Tell me some of the uh, the enduring classics that appeared on, um, on Romeo and Jet Sounds. Quinton Tarver's version of When Doves Cry is the yeah, one that I think big... sold the record. But but the rest is just score. So all the oh, is it ripped <laughs> off? <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Volume Two was the gothy seventeen-year-old girls. Um, Hey, so Casey, if you didn't, if it's only taken you years to come back to, like, what do you think of the Cardigans then? Well, see, I don't really know. Like, I do you know any of their other songs? No. Like, oh, Even really? My favorite game. Yeah, it was a pretty. Oh, good yeah. Game. oh, that was them. Okay, yeah, yeah no, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I speak. <laughs> the, the other thing that wow. they did that charted was uh, a cover of "Burning Down the House" by Tom, oh, yes, Tom, Tom Jones. Jones. Mm. Yes, and, and that was another thing Tom about Tom Jones album. You didn't have to do that. Yeah, yeah. No, that was from an t- album of Tom Jones duets. Yeah, yeah. Where he basically invited people. Yeah, and that just happened to be the single. Yeah. So that yeah, wasn't a yeah. terrible album, actually. Mm. I have that. But, it uh, was or wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah, really. I th- yeah. I think the thing for me, especially listening to it now, is just the degree of melodic sophistication yeah. in this song. And yeah, look, Danny of all people may disagree with me, but there's a real David and Bacharach thing going oh, on no, yeah, with definitely. the melodies. Oh, definitely, yeah, yeah. Uh, definitely, just, yeah. Yeah, so beautifully done. Oh, yeah, it, it is that. I mean, it is, yeah, it's so 70s. Um, it's so laid back. Hmm. People don't play guitar like this anymore, or they didn't in 97, right? Do you hmm. have someone just lay back, relax in the chords, just hmm. do a little, sl- but like it's not hidden in the mix. Um, it's quite prominent, actually. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a very big yeah. part of it, but it's also not... So the guitar is a very, very big part of the song, but it is not guitar music, right? Yes. Yeah. It's right. Like, yeah. It, it yeah. almost it feels yeah. like a Dusty Springfield song or something like right. that. Or yeah. a, like, especially Dusty in Memphis, where there's a great guitar player doing all those riffs like on, uh, on Son of a Preacher Man and stuff like that. Exactly. Yeah. It's that sound. Yeah, mm. which is kind of the thing when Danny and Tim mentioned Bell and Sebastian as yeah. well is kind of, well, it's kind of, it's guitar music, but it's not. Yeah. And yeah. yeah there's definitely something about the, the cardigans that has that element to it, but coming back to the melodic sophistication that kind of moves it away from what you would identify as guitar music because that tends, I mean, what we understood to be guitar music at the time was very much the sledgehammer. Well, it was more semi-charm life by the yeah. Yeah, by third yeah. Whereas, line. Than, yeah, yeah, this is a lot more subtle and mm. thought through. And as Casey said, it's pieced together. It's not kind of thrown into a, yeah. <laughs> into a heap. Yeah, the thing um, someone just mentioned before, the David and Bacharach thing, Tim Cole mentioned that before. And the, the thing about the um, the great covers of songs by uh, Burt Bacharach and Hal David, 
um, like the ones by Dusty Springfield and, and especially Diane Warwick. The thing that they have in common with Love Fool in particular is that both those, like that, they're all about being pretty and elegant and letting the the heartbreak kind of shine through in the in the the sound of the voice. Like where they're not trying to sound heartbroken, but it kind of happens anyway. There's something about that in the great kind of Diane Warwick versions of, of Burton Backrack songs, and it's totally in this song as well. Like she's singing about like that she's you know basically a fool in love, and it's kind of a bit heartbreaking in a way. Uh, but she's doing it so elegantly that it kind of comes through on the like the emotion of it comes through sort of in spite of itself in a way. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and like that's something that's really common with like the Burt Bacharach, the great Burt Bacharach covers. Because, like, I'll Never Fall In Love Again sounds like a serial commercial from the 60s, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Ding, ding, ding. Like, what do you get it? Like, in, oh, in yeah, love? I, th- I think the other like, thing with Nina Person is that she, I mean, this wasn't the only side of her. She didn't just do flirtatious, girly no. stuff either. It's like yeah. the first song on that album, Your New Cuckoo, where she is hollering, I was your whore, and totally owning it, which for me as a 16-year-old was, whoa. <laughs> It's kind what of, were you expected? When no, you it the, wasn't. It wasn't. It bought it. Bought it for on the strength of Loveful, and then that comes up straight away. And <laughs> yeah, it was kind of it was riveting. Uh-huh. And, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's like people who bought porno graffiti on the back of But the other thing at the end of 1997, I I travelled around Europe and uh, for about three months. One of those months was without my parents and. I was in places like Germany and Austria where the drinking age is 16, <laughs> which I was at the time. So, yeah, I was kind of... Um, that could not have ended well. Well, some, <laughs> nights, some nights it didn't, some nights it did. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, the, the cardigans were... I mean, they weren't huge in Europe, but they were very well appreciated by people who would have been our age mm. at the time. And it's also... This is this is part of their pop heritage that had been neglected so long because people didn't do French and European pop um, kind of stuff that made it to the charts at all, whereas yeah. this did. And, yeah, it's kind of... There was that big wave of 60s nostalgia in the 90s that, mm. um, yeah, kind of took into account American and English stuff, uh, whereas this is one of the few instances you can see that happening with... Uh, this style of European music, and yeah, it was, it was kind of appreciated amongst amongst uh, that part of the audience. Cool. Well, go Cardigans. Um, and they're apparently back together. Um, yeah. uh, as far as uh, she's done a lot of solo work. Well, yeah. as far uh, as far as Wikipedia is telling me, they split up in two thousand six, but got back together last year, and are still kind of going. So they're doing mm-hmm. the fairly usual um, mm-hmm. band route. Yeah. But yeah, yeah. Which yeah, lots of these bands I, we've I, talked about are kind of done that, where they kind of broke up after people lost interest in like two thousand and three or four or something, and then um, yeah, that they're getting back together recently. Like no doubt have just done that they've got back together in the last couple of years you know all these bands kind of do that because like we're getting to the point where like we feel nostalgic about that music people of our age and so we'll go we'll go oh yeah i'll go and see no doubt now because it will bring back the memories i read a tweet the other day which was you're too young for me if your favorite band from college hasn't had a reunion tour yet (laughs) (laughs) third eye blind is still around (laughs) 
Okay, on to our last song for the day, and we don't need to roll the dice because Danny has drawn the short straw. <laughs> um, so the film was Goodwill Hunting, and let's see what we thought Danny would probably choose. Um, Tim Byron, why don't you tell us? Uh, I thought Danny was going to choose Even When I'm Sleeping by Leonardo's Bride. Tim Coyle. I overthought this one. Really? Because <laughs> there, ob- there was an obvious option that I thought, yeah, Danny's got to fake us out. So I chose Secret Garden by Bruce Springsteen <laughs> because he had spoken about it before on this podcast. <laughs> and I thought that Danny would choose... Uh, I didn't overthink it. <laughs> and I thought that Danny might choose uh, Song 2 by Blur. That's exactly what I chose, Casey. This is Song 2 by Blur. Song two by Blur. Danny, why did you choose this song? Well, is it because you had an excuse to choose a Blur song? There was that. It was definitely an excuse to pick a Blur song. Blur, the more the years go by, might go down as my favourite 90s band. Right. Uh, Especially in that they didn't really have a career after this decade. (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, whereas other bands like Wilco and stuff, I love stuff they did. You're just trying to repress the memory of Think Tank, aren't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, what have you done? He was, he was succeeding up the back And, yeah, like, so they are the band. I loved every era of that band. I loved them so much uh, leading up to this point. Song two. Um, this album, and after the, the fight with Oasis, which I friggin' loved every moment of as a fan <laughs> and bought every single single by both bands... And then they just died, and they didn't get the success success that I wanted them to have in America. Like, I was a big enough fan that I was going, why aren't they breaking America? Yeah. Uh, and for them to come back with this record, and when Song 2 hit, I was young, and I was almost in tears when they played Letterman, and they played Song <laughs> 2. I was just so happy for them. This is, like, my favourite band <laughs> After all the terrible stuff that they've been through, and there's a beautiful song on this record called uh, Look Inside America about touring in the States, and uh, knowing all the stuff that they've gone through, and then they just sort of... It's, it's really strange. I saw this maturity happen in this band where they sort of let go of all their baggage of fighting the war against Nirvana, of trying to be... fighting the war against Oasis, and then just decided to make this really beautifully sad record. And it was like nothing I ever heard. I wasn't really, you know, I love Mariah Carey. I wasn't really a big fan of Distortion or Pavement or those sort of bands. This record not only pushed me further as a music fan, 
It came from one of my favorite bands. I was so happy for them at the time. This song isn't necessarily one of my favorites, but when I do listen to it, it is 100% a kick to the face. Like it's fantastic for what it's trying to do. Uh, the stories around the song, but yeah, this record, the Blur record by Blur goes down as my favorite re- record by this band. So it was really, as as much as other songs on this year were, were great, all the ones that you mentioned and stuff like that, um, 1997, I would have listened to song two 400 times more than any other song in the chart that year. So, yeah, it's a great song. Tim Coyle. Yeah, um, look, I'm, I'm a Blur. I am a fan of Blur, and I was a fan of Blur at school. Not in the same league as Danny at all, and I think Tim Byron would have been well ahead of me as well, but we'll get to that. Um, but, yeah, really enjoyed um, Boys and Girls, um, Country House, uh Charmless Man. Uh, I, I thought they were great songs. I kind of, uh, yeah, uh, took to took to following them. You know, song two's all right. But, <laughs> yeah, and D- Danny's right. It's it's a big break <clears throat> for, for them um, that they were trying something different stylistically. And I think um, other songs on the album, Blur, succeed a lot better than this song, which, you know, it, it is good as a kick to the face thing and just that that initial rush of uh, the guitars and especially that fuzz bass which is actually where a lot of that distortion is coming from it's not actually from a lot of the guitars um so much um but it's a little one note uh for me and look as as a calling card for this album and as um an avenue for people to get into it and especially in the states as danny was talking about it was successful beyond their wildest dreams and yeah even though i didn't love it it served that purpose and these days it's been in so many car commercials that yeah that's all it is to me now there's so many other blur songs that are much more important to me than song two and um look kind of when i chose it's so so quiet it, it was okay i'm choosing this because it's a bjork song and i can see exactly what danny's saying uh, and why he he picks this as a blur song um which of course he likes but it's it's an opportunity to talk about something so much more important mm. than this actual song and yeah you know that we actually get to talk about blur on this podcast is a really great thing <laughs> tim Byron. yeah for me um at the time, I remember this song pretty well. I didn't buy this single, but the single I did buy was Beetlebum, uh, the, the song before, effectively song one in terms of singles from this album. Um, <laughs> that was the first single from the album. And, um, Very good. So that's sort of where I was with, uh, with, uh, with Blur. But um, yeah, Blur were a band that I'd already liked for some time before this song came out. I really loved um, Charmless Man in particular. And, and for me, Blur were kind of like a singles record. Like, they weren't a band that I sort of had much desire to go and investigate the records, but they were a band that, like, I really liked a lot of their singles. And so I probably bought more singles by Blur in the 90s than by any other band apart from the Smashing Pumpkins because I was the huge fan of them. And, um, yeah, for me, when I heard Song song 2 for the first time, it was great. You know, there was this song that had that kind of, you know, great... It's, it's got one of the best transitions from soft to loud in 90s music. And that's saying something, because every yeah, fucking wow. song in 90s <laughs> yeah. music has that transition. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, it's just so there's something about that transition and, and the woohoo that, like, just feels like pure joy. And that's why it works so well in car commercials. But 
because it works so well in car commercials and stuff like that, this song needs nothing to me now. And it, the only thing that song really has is that kind of um, that rush, that sugar rush of the loud sound and the soft loud thing going on. Whereas, you know, I, I still love and love um, Beetlebum uh, to today. Recently, uh, last year, I guess, I reviewed the um, the entire stupidly enormous like twenty disc discography thing for like a five hundred word article in the big issue, and, um, words. <laughs> and and like it was just it was just like the impossible thing of trying to you know, explain Blur's career, let alone talk about um, you know the various B sides and things on on the discography in in five hundred words. But um, the thing that I did note with that was that. A lot of their early um, stuff, their early demos and things like that before Leisure and like when they were still sort of young, actually kind of sounded a bit like the stuff on the Blur album, the 1997 album that this is from. But they always had that kind of guitar, um, you know, loud guitar, sort of weird sort of slackery thing in them. And they'd sort of pulled back a bit because they had to do that for, um, for you know, to be successful in the UK. And so when they got a chance to do that again for the Blur album, like it, it feels really natural in a way that, say, Country House sort of doesn't, even though that's a great song. And so there's something about that naturalness that's still there in Song 2, which I really love. Uh, but yeah, to me, it, Song 2 is probably um, the least of the four singles that came from this album, but it's still kind of great anyway. But I wish it wasn't in all those car commercials, but oh well. <laughs> yeah, I the car commercial thing is a very, very difficult thing to escape, but I, I really can with this song. I do love it. I do think it's absolutely just... I, I find it really... Um, cathartic or something in a way. It's just like rocking the fuck out mm. um, and in the face of a lot of the other um, blur singles that preceded it that I love as well um, this was a real I think um, the term kick in the face has been used a couple of times but it's 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 just an awesome kick in the face and you know we've heard a lot of Nirvana and we've heard a lot of Smashing Pumpkins and we've heard a lot of Foo Fighters and things like that by this stage and now you've got Blur kicking me in the face with guitars <laughs> cool and 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 pulling it off you know yeah. is, is the other thing about it as well so it wasn't just Blur attempting to do something that 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 was around it was Blur um, just just doing it because they had it in them and and nailing it as far as I'm concerned. So, um, yeah, I think that the idea of this song being like, oh, God, what, the car commercial song is is really unfortunate to a certain degree. But at the same point, it's made them billions mm. of dollars, all of those car mm. commercials, I'm sure, and good <laughs> hell on them for that as well. Um, it's not my favourite Blur song, but it's, it's well up there. Um, my favourite Blur song is probably Stereotypes from... Um, oh, what a great song. Yeah. yeah. I like I like The Great Escape. It's um, That's my favourite Blur record, actually. Um, but I liked all of the other stuff that mentioned. But, but this one um, has... Yeah, I, I just still hold something for this song as well. I remember when I first read the lyrics to this song, I was like, <laughs> it was, it was like, um, what was, uh, like Informer by Snow. <laughs> when, you, when you read the lyrics to this and you went, what, really? <laughs> Jumbo Jet? Really? <laughs> um, so Blur, we've obviously, um, all got quite a bit of time for Blur, Danny, probably the, the, the mm. most amount of time, um, is, are there any other, what are the other sort of blonde, uh, blonde, blonde, 
No. I wanted to say fond and blur, and uh, it turned into blonde. What? Your blonde memories. Yes. <laughs> so fond blur memories that we all have, or things that we uh, things that we wanted to talk about. I think you introduced me to blur. Yeah, to I've looked this. There's so many. Uh, we mentioned uh, a bit of an underrated single, uh, Char- uh, Charmless Man. For me, was that was that that underrated though? I think Charmless Man Australia, was Australia was quite big. Yeah, yeah. it, it yeah. never really kind of um, kind of took off in the UK. And I think it's such a great song that um, that it probably should have done better. But it's great. Yeah, yeah. Um, but still it's, not my favorite Blur song. And everyone's gonna hate my favorite Blur song. But I think Tender is their best song. So, no, that's great. You know, I love that. Lo- love that song. It's it's an incredible song from uh, a very underrated album <laughs> and quite an incredible album, really, for someone to put themselves mm. on the line in that way. Um, uh, yeah, I, 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 I really didn't effective. like that song. Yeah. <laughs> if there's a date, there's a real. Um, I don't know. I think they. I think Blur, in a way, are the children of David Bowie in that sense that. You think of the first single they put out on every album, and if you were just to put those six tracks in the compilation, <laughs> they're, they're the most six unrelated tracks you'll ever hear in your life. Mm. Like, mm. what, She's So High, mm. For Tomorrow, and then you get Girls and Boys, and then you get Country House, and then you get Beetlebum, and then you get Tender. Like, they, they were the great band that, you know, our first, like, maybe it's a very British thing. First single's important. First yeah. single's got to say what the album's about because we're a single, we're a country mm. about singles. And everyone's going to be four minutes and super important. It's our statement about our change of sound. And Tender was definitely one of the best ones. I remember hearing that on the radio for the first time. The fact that Graham sang on it mm. and all the backing vocalists mm. and stuff like that. It was just well, like... Was so that, was, that, was, that, that was a bit too much U2 for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, yeah, that's definitely that. You know, and, like, you know, it's like, I like, I kind of like when you do yeah. went there as well. It's yeah. Like, yeah, when, when, that, when that choir kicked in, it was like, oh, you, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that, that choir is pretty awesome. But yeah, Graham Quoxon, he, he's the, um, he's the secret ingredient in, mm. in, in Blur. Like, you know, David Albarn is the one who went on to do Gorillaz and the one who's got the voice of Blur. And so he's one of the voices that kind of keeps Blur together. Um, the, the keep, you know, it keeps all the this, this disparate sounds from different from different eras of Blur sounding basically like Blur. He's just so incredibly creative, and you can hear that yeah. going through all the different eras of um, of Blur. Like it, he's not necessarily like a, a super technical player, but like he just comes up with the great parts. And like you know that part in like Beetlebum with that kind of thing where it goes down to doom 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 doom. Yeah, something yeah, about yeah. that which is just brilliant. And um, and yeah, Beetlebum is up there for me, as is Charmless Man, as is Tender, and as is um, MOR, which I really love as well. Like the oh, like yeah, video clip of, of where they're running around the centre of Sydney yeah. was just like, ah, oh, look at that, they're running around the centre of Sydney, it's awesome. Yeah, so um, yeah, Blur, I've got a lot of time for. And it, um, it, you know, I reviewed their entire discography and lots of it was really, really good. And they had lots and lots of great uh, B-sides and like obscure singles like Pop Scene and stuff like that. Hmm. They, uh, the guitar playing of Graham Coxon is a really, really good thing to bring up because you listen to something like this, um, and if this was the only thing that you ever heard from Blur, you might be excused for thinking that he's like, oh, okay, that's that, that's this kind of that's this guy's bag. But then you listen to something like um, like Country House and the guitar solo in Country oh, House. That's yeah, that's Clean? one of those yeah, and it's one of those things that's like 
it's sort of terrible but amazing. You know what I mean? Like, it's... It's the first time I've really heard someone have a really distorted, full-sounding guitar track mm. and then play a guitar solo on a more brittly-sounding guitar and then just as it sort of have, have the guitar solo slink over it. Yeah. Genius. Yeah. No, it's gone. <laughs> uh, that moment in the Beatle One film clip, the first time I saw that film clip, and just seeing Graham Coxon do that riff on Beetlebum, yeah, that was a cool moment, yeah. and it's and it's as good as the moment in the Soul Two film clip where he puts his foot in that distortion pedal. <laughs> yeah, you know, like it, these are. Like, I like that's the detail, the kind of the attention to detail in the film clip. Is that look, we can't just have Graham there playing guitar. He has to put his foot on the pedal, yeah, <laughs> and then just get blown away. And that brings us to the end of another 90% hits, uh, this time Choose Your Own Adventure 1997. Um, before we move on to our favourites of the episode, um, some honourable mentions. So, Tim Byron, what were some other songs that uh, you liked from the year or maybe you could have picked? Oh, I have lots and lots um, from, from this year. Like, everything from The Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson, which I loved at the time, and um, I, I'm no longer 16 anymore, but it was great. Um, you know, Even When I'm Sleeping by Leonardo's Bride, which I thought Danny would pick, but um, that's that's a great Beatles pop song. Uh, I love Mo Money, Mo Problems by um, Puff Daddy and, and uh, Notorious B.I.G. But the song that probably would be my honourable mention, I, I didn't feel right picking it because it wasn't really the song that was actually getting the airplay but Hey Jupiter by Tori Amos, which was sort of the other A-side to prof- the Professional Widow remixing, was a song that I loved and loved, and it was just a beautiful a beautiful piano ballad. Uh, Danny? Uh, well, we talked about a lot of songs that other people would choose for each other, but uh, definitely One Headlight by The Wallflowers, which just seems like it came up almost every time for someone else and yeah. no one chose. Great song. Um, Bittersweet Symphony, for me, was... Uh, it's not a song that's aged well for me, but it really gets to the fact that with Blur and Verve, I was really going British. And then uh, the other thing about this whole era was when uh, Tim Byron thought I would pick Leonardo's Bride. That song is absolutely amazing, and, and that sort of female singer song, I think, and I kind of had a soft spot for You Were Meant For Me by Jewel. I think that was just oh. an amazing song at the time. But, um, yeah. Tim. Well, everyone mentions uh, Bruce Springsteen's Secret Garden for me. Um, look, it's it's actually a good song. Uh, it's it's start of the comeback, really, for, for him. Um, the Rising's obviously quite a few years away where that really begins in earnest. But, yeah, he's, he's starting to get his mojo back a bit with that song, I think. But, yeah, uh, Love 4 was better. Um, <laughs> other stuff that I could have picked, Tim Byron mentioned Hey Jupiter, which is a beautiful song and was mm. definitely in the reckoning for me it's kind of a shame that tori amos has missed out a couple of times by not much for this podcast yeah. because yeah she's definitely worth a guernsey for it but i don't know that she'll get one um probably not no. yeah what else uh, mo money mo problems was another one and <laughs> uh kind of one headlight was mentioned as well, and going for the stupid no diggity. <laughs> no diggity is great. I forgot to mention that yeah. one. It's got that great kind of piano thing. It's awesome. So for me, honestly, I'm just I'm having another look at the the list again, and I've got really nothing else. Like apart from the songs that we've already talked about, like song two, I definitely would have you know put on an honourable mention, but. There's not a lot else that's really inspiring me. And, it, and it's interesting to know, like, I, I was consuming a lot of music at this point, but it was, 
you know, nowhere near, nowhere near <laughs> the charts, it seems, for, for mm. the most part. So, as usual, we'll go around the room and find out what everybody's favourite song was of the other songs chosen. Um, just to recap, what we talked about today were uh, Calypso by Spiderbait, Semi-Charmed Life by Third Eye Blind, Love Fool by The Cardigans, and Song 2 by Blur. Tim Coyle, what's your fave? I want to say Blur because they're my favourite band of the bunch uh, outside of the song I chose, but I'm going to say Semi-Charmed hey. Life, uh, and I feel really bad about it. <laughs> but there you go it is actually my favourite song out of the others there you go uh, Tim Byron it's going to be Loveful okay Danny Loveful yeah it's really hard actually between um, Loveful and um, Blur I think I'm going to have to go since Loveful's already won I'm going to go with Song 2 but Blur is my favourite <laughs> poor spider babe. Uh, yeah oh, poor spider babe. but you know They'll survive. They had a number one single in this country. They've got a new record out. They'll, they're fine. Yeah. Um, okay, so that brings us to the end of another episode of 90% Hits. You can find us on the internet in lots of places. You can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. You can find us on Tumblr. You can email us at Gmail. So we're 90% Hits um, with percent spelled out in words in all of those instances. Tim Byron, tell us a little bit more about the Tumblr for those people that are still listening. Uh, we have a, a very regularly updated uh, blog on Tumblr, 90percenthits.tumblr.com, where we post uh, new videos of the songs we've talked about and of other songs by those bands. So I'm imagining by the time we get to talk about Blur, it's going to be a lot of Blur on the blog. It's just going to be Blur blog for, for a day, and then the next day it will be all about the Cardigans, and we'll post like various bits and pieces from 97 and stuff like that. How much, is, yet, how much is going to happen on uh, Third Eye Blind Day? <laughs> um, I'm just thinking of tumbleweeds. <laughs> I'm just thinking of uh, Arrested Developments like Bob Blog, 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 So yeah, so we've got all that. And tell us about iTunes, Danny. Uh, hey, just just leave a, leave comments for us. Uh, give us ratings because it really helps us being discovered on iTunes. Really helps us out. Uh, and uh, we'll be back next week with because Tim Coyle won it, so he'll be hosting with uh, Choose Your Own Adventure nine two thousand thirteen. Yeah, I guess that's what we'll call it. We're still trying to work out how it's going to go. It's but, the uh, end of the year show. It's <laughs> the end of the year show. Uh, so uh, until then, uh, if you know what happened to Mary, please let us know. And Tim, oh. <laughs> what's your name? Yeah. Tim, Tim, yeah. One of you is not called Tim. <laughs> Hang on, aren't you all Tim? Oh. This hosting job's hard, Danny. Get Danny. right, Tim Atkins. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should have like the Tim episode. We'll all be Tim.